Welcome to the Whiskey Rebellion. This is David Silkenet in Edinburgh, joined as always by Frank Cogliano. How are you doing, Frank? David, I'm great today. Thank you very much. I'm very, I'm very well. How are you? I'm doing, doing great. So earlier this week, we had uh, one of the more interesting recent events of a number of people being booked uh, into the uh, jail in, in Georgia for, for events connected to January 6th. Among them, of course, is former President Donald Trump, but also uh, Rudy Giuliani, the uh, former legal counsel to Trump and, and mayor of New York. Uh, and for Giuliani, this was, um, one might say, a very significant step down to where he was two decades ago, where he was one of the most loved people in the country. He was America's mayor. He was Times Man of the Year um, and uh, considered a viable presidential candidate. And now um, Giuliani's in a very different place, I think it's fair to say. Uh, and so I thought we would talk about this week, we're going to talk about American figures in American history who have fallen from grace, people who have reached a high pinnacle of, of, of fame and, and ad, uh, admiration and, and a variety of some kind, and then have gone precipitously off the cliff, like Giuliani seems to have done. So uh, do you have thoughts on the Giuliani situation, Frank? Uh, I do, and I have I have thoughts on, on this as a topic, unsurprisingly, David. So the Giuliani yeah. situation is, is a fascinating one because, of course, prior to becoming mayor, um, he'd established his reputation as a kind of... Um, kind of hard-charging prosecutor for the Southern District of New York and went after the mob and went after Wall Street guys and was seen as a kind of um, quite a righteous figure and a law and order figure, uh, which in part helped him get elected mayor. Um, his term as mayor was actually quite mixed, but 9-11, his response to 9-11 is really what sealed his uh, reputation, uh, really elevated his reputation um, in the early part of this century. And since then, it's been kind of a steady decline ever since his his uh, run for president back in 2008, which was a bit of a shambles. And he made a lot of money at one point, um, but he seems to have gone through a lot of money. And then he had, he'd always known Donald Trump and he, he was very close. He has been very closely aligned with Donald Trump since Donald Trump um, ran for president and after. But, you know, his humiliation and his, his fall from grace has been a long, slow fall because, mm -hmm. you know, it's, you know, we have the famous um, Four Seasons landscaping press yeah. conference after the election yes. and, and a number of, of, of incidents like that where Giuliani's become a kind of figure of fun, you know, Borat. Mm -hmm you know, the appearance in the, in the Borat film sure. um, and, and, and so on. And so to some extent, I don't know whether this is the bottom or not, but it, it's been a long, steady fall. Um, it doesn't seem like fall, he has a lot of allies anymore. No, but fall it has been. There's no doubt about it. Mm. Whether he deserved his earlier reputation is, a, is perhaps a topic for another, mm. uh, another podcast. But in terms of talking about falls from grace uh, more mm. generally, uh, our theme today, I think we need some criteria because like you, I've done a bit of research mm. in this. Um, and, and if you kind of Google this, you get all kinds of lists. And there are often celebrities who've been embarrassed, you know, Hugh Grant's arrest for soliciting prostitutes or a prostitute or um, Tiger Woods' uh, marital difficulties. Mm. I don't think that's necessarily what we mean by a fall from grace here, I think, um, um, I, I think it has to be a little more significant than that, um, uh, especially legally. Um, and I think the individuals in question have to have significant public stature and or uh, kind of be held. They, they have to be in grace, right? You, in, order mm. to, in order to fall from grace, you have to have grace. And I'm not suggesting that Hugh Grant and Tiger Woods, you know, weren't or are not significant celebrities. They are. Uh, but I do think we have to be a little careful about just sort of celebrities getting into trouble yeah, as, right. as, a, as our criteria. I mean, what criteria do you think we need to? Yeah, to I, mean, I, I think you're right that the people have to be of a particular status in order to, to, to sort of really fall in this Rudy Giuliani category. Um, but I think there also has to be some some hubris involved. I think yeah. one of the things that that really, you know, when we talk about the people we're going to talk about today, I think one of the things that defines them is that their their confidence their self-confidence their over abiding um belief in themselves and um 
sometimes uh, their the juxtaposition between how they presented themselves and what people thought about them and what happened to them. Um, so I think I think th those are the things that, that that define our list. So we've got that's right. Yes, yeah, sorry, sorry to just to illustrate that if I can, David. I'm sorry to interrupt. Mm -hmm. I think you know, for example, Harvey Weinstein would seem to be the kind of person who we might discuss. I actually don't think he I, he certainly had a fall. Mm -hmm. um and you know his, his legal problems are significant and well deserved uh and the punishment he's getting is well deserved mm -hmm. but although he was a powerful figure and he was an influential figure i don't think he had a sort of i don't think he was beloved i don't think he was admired he might have been feared and he was powerful but i don't mm -hmm. think he was admired and had yeah. a certain um kind of, it's not simple popularity but also kind of Moral standing, ineffable quality, moral standing. Yeah, that that's so. So, so he didn't. I, I don't think he made my. He didn't yeah. make my list. I don't think he made your list. No, and I think these are kinds of narratives that I think are fascinating to look at. I mean, the, the theme of the recent uh, Oppenheimer film is about a similar kind of, of fall from grace, and whether that was deserved or not, as a as a you know different sort of set of questions. And I think uh, the film suggests that it wasn't. Um, and with some of these other figures, it may, may or may not deserve the fall from grace that they receive. But I think they're all sort of a product of a uh, of a very particular kind of popularity roller coaster or something, right? So, so should we do this, Heimer, Frank? I haven't seen it yet. I haven't. Oh, seen it. I think I think you need to find time to watch both that and I, the Barbie movie. They're I, both very good. I do. So did you ever, sorry, we're, 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 as we often do, we're deviating off course, but what, so, so tell me your take on Barbieheimer quickly. Oh, geez. Uh, I enjoyed both films. If I were to have to go and see one of them a second time though, I'd want to see Barbie again. I mean, Oppenheimer, I'm glad I saw it, but, and it was a very impressive film and there were some really great performances. I'm not eager to go watch that again. It was a bit much. Uh, whereas Barbie was, I think much more fun to watch and, and had, you know, had a, was both entertaining and had a, a message to it. So, but both, so both are you, worth seeing. So when you said Oppenheimer's a bit much, what does that mean? Uh, much of what? Well, um, the, 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 well, for instance, one of the, the ways in which the, the film is conveyed, it's not a narrative biography or at least a linear biography. The soundtrack for, for the Oppenheimer film are, are a series of discordant notes for three hours. Right. Okay. You know, and so right. as you leave the, you, the entire time you're watching the film, you feel slightly ill at ease, uh, which is on purpose uh, by both the director and the sound designer, but uh, doesn't leave one, um, you know, with a pleasant sensation. But that's not. Yeah, I mean, that's very Christopher Nolan, isn't it? Yes, very much. Although the okay. Batman movies, I'll watch many. Anyway, but back back to these people with Fall from Grace. Speaking of, well, Batman's about Fall from Grace too. Um, Right well, now, our, got, uh, our audience is falling away. Wait, fair enough. Well, then they're here in the first place. Right. Get, give me an uh, 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 interesting example to start off with, right? Okay, so I think we're going to take this in no particular order, but we're going to we're going to alternate and just throw names mm -hmm. out there. These aren't comprehensive sure. lists, right? So it's it's a little bit like one of our draft episodes, but it's but but um, certainly mine aren't in particular order. Mm -hmm. I think probably. Um, well, if I go backwards in time, so if I go back to my own period, mm. it's interesting because the 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 choice seems to come down to um, Alexander Hamilton versus Aaron Burr, <laughs> which of course oh, was an actual choice, was an actual uh, conflict at one point um, that ended quite badly for Hamilton. Now. I think it's crucial. What again? Another criteria to to make clear is the fall from grace has to happen during one's lifetime. One has to experience mm -hmm. the fall. So it's not you know Jefferson's reputation has gone up and down over the past two hundred years. That's not what this is about. Um, but Hamilton, of course, his his extramarital affair was exposed um, by James Callender, the guy who would who would expose the Sally Hemings affair uh, for Jefferson. Um, and he basically was done as a public figure, at least as an office holder. And he kind of left office. He, you know, he experienced humiliation as a result of that. Um, he then had a conflict with 
Um, you know, well, he had a number of conflicts uh, with John Adams during the election of 1800 with Jefferson, of course, but most famously with Aaron Burr, resulting in the duel in which Burr killed Hamilton. So we can also look at Burr, who, of course, had been vice president of the United States, was vice president when he killed uh, Hamilton. He then, after killing Hamilton, was involved in a conspiracy which may or may not have been treasonous to dismember the United States. He was acquitted in his treason trial, but he kind of, he lived another 20, he, he lived another, he lived till 1836. Um, he lived a good long time as a kind of reviled public figure. So Burr seems a better <laughs> yes. candidate for a fall from grace, and maybe he is, but I think Hamilton's fall was longer in the sense that he fell from a greater height. Burr was never quite trusted or respected. He didn't have that early, earlier kind of moral authority that I think Hamilton did. So I think uh, my first choice, I suppose, for an early American fall from grace is Alexander Hamilton. Excellent choice. Okay. And how, did he try to do, you know, one of the things I think I think about with all of these people that we're going to talk about is, you know, when you do have that lengthy period of time after you have a fall from grace, where you've been dishonored in various ways, how do you go about remedying your reputation? Like, is there is there a way back? And, well, uh, does yes, Hans, does I Bird think. Try to do anything to to get in the good graces of the American public. Well, Bird doesn't, but Hamilton did. I mean, and, and Hamilton, of course, didn't know he was going to die in eighteen oh four. And Hamilton, you know, famously, you know, leaves, you know, after after the duel or in the in the run up to the duel with, with mm. Burr that will cost him his life, you know, stresses his Christianity and the fact that he, he um, you know, didn't intend to kill Burr and, and kind of he did a good job on his posthumous reputation and seemed to have patched things up with his wife who became, you know, she outlived him by mm. a long period of time and, and became the keeper of his of his memory and reputation. So, you know, Hamilton, had he lived longer, probably would have made a comeback because his downfall itself, you know, it was an extramarital affair that was, it was exposed. It was embarrassing, yeah. but, you know, given enough time or given a little more time uh, in politics, he might've come back from that, uh, I think. So, so his, his fall, his comeback was actually inhibited by his death, unsurprisingly, right? That, that tends to <laughs> um, be, a, be a barrier for that. Whereas Burr lived you know, decades longer and became a kind of marginal and forgotten figure. So maybe his mm. fall was greater. His height wasn't as high, but his fall was lower. Okay. Does that make sense? That, that does, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, what about you? What, who's your first one, David? Oh, my first pick, uh, at least chronologically, uh, is Henry Ward Beecher. Um, okay, so tell may us not that. be as well known a figure to, to, to many listeners, but uh, during his lifetime, he was enormously famous. He was one of the most famous people in the country. Uh, he's from a very important uh, family of, of reformers and religious leaders. His father, Lyman Beecher, was a prominent evangelical preacher. His sister was Harriet Beecher Stowe, who wrote Uncle Tom's Cabin and a bunch of other things. Uh, he had some other relatives who were important uh, reformers and, and religious leaders. Uh, but Henry Ward Beecher ran this church in Brooklyn, the Plymouth Church, which was one of the most powerful churches in the country in the 1840s uh, and, and afterwards. Um, he was one of the leading uh, abolitionists in the country. He helped support abolitionists in, in Kansas. Uh, supposedly, he helped to encourage people to send uh, rifles uh, to to uh, to abolitionists in Kansas uh, to fight off uh, slaveholders. These were called uh, preacher Bibles. Um, he was an advocate of women's suffrage. He was an advocate of temperance. He was a a, a pretty you know well known uh, important figure, uh, both uh, in terms of these reform movements and religiously and in politics. What happens to him is in 1875, really at the height of his fame and notoriety, there's a story breaks out that he was having an affair with a woman by the name of Elizabeth Tilton, who was a parishioner at his church, uh, an important woman in her own right. She's involved in a number of reform movements, whose husband is involved in a number of reform movements. And this creates an enormous scandal uh, that, that dominates the media for the better part of two years. 
Uh, there's a series of trials. It's sort of compared to uh, people who have uh, earned these kinds of things compared to the O.J. Simpson trial in terms of a, something that dominated the media. So it's really interesting how this scandal, this, this affair really came to light. Uh, what happened uh, was that Elizabeth Tilton told her husband, uh, Theodore, Theodore told his friend, Elizabeth Cady Stanton, the, the famous uh, women's suffragist, Elizabeth Cady Stanton told Victoria Woodhull, um, who was also a name that, that some listeners may know, but most of them probably don't. She was a women's rights advocate uh, in the mid 19th century, but she was also really the leading advocate in the United States of free love. Uh, and so she she had a very expansive understanding of, of sexuality, at least by uh, 19th century standards. And she had been criticized in the pulpit by Henry Ward Beecher. He had been very critical of people who, who were not abiding by traditional no, notions of, of marriage and monogamy and whatnot. And, and she found his behavior just outrageous in that respect, that he would be critical of her, but at the same time have this affair with uh, a parishioner uh, uh, who was married to a friend of his. Um, and Victoria Woodhull, in addition to being this radical uh, feminist was also a newspaper publisher. And so she published very lurid details about the affair in her newspaper. Uh, and so there was a trial where Theodore Stilton, uh, Tilton sued Beecher. There was a trial in which Victoria Woodhull goes on trial for obscenity. Uh, there was some religious trials in, in different, uh, both in the local church and in national religious organizations on this. Um, and, you know, Beecher, is able to weather most of it, but his reputation and status never really recovers after this scandal. But it was an enormous um, moment in in and in, in transformation in the life of somebody who was held up as an epitome of virtue, and and turns out wasn't. So, in in both of the examples we've given so far, yes, uh, these have been. <sighs> The, the falls have, have originated because of extramarital affairs, which are that that, that that seems to be quite common in terms of uh, well, many. Of these it, it it does, but 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 um, I mean, we're going to have some more egregious examples, I mm. think, in the next few minutes. But it's interesting because I think in both cases, while you know that might have caused professional difficulties for the individuals, mm. if they happen today, I'm not sure with a fall from grace would grace, have resulted. Right. Uh, it does depend on the reputation you're bringing in. So I think Beecher's interesting because yeah. because he's a prominent minister. So well, if um, yeah, you know, I, the, the moral infidelity is is more of a problem, I I guess. But but uh, yeah, so then there's a through line of of uh, we could pick a number of different figures who are re prominent religious figures for being who who are caught up in questions of of both um, sexual improprieties of various kinds, but also financial improprieties. Um, we can think about a number of televangelists from the 70s and 80s for whom that was the case. Um, and I think there's a th through line there. That's right. When you were speaking, I was thinking of Jim and Tammy Faye Baker, for example, Baker, yes. uh, as a good example, as a kind of modern analog. Mm. Um, I'm interested, David, uh, that you mentioned um, O.J. Simpson in the context of, uh, of the, the Beecher case, because mm. On one hand, that that was one of the names on my list, but again, I don't think I'm going to opt for it. Although I'm, I'm cheating. If 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 well, is this yes. a contest? I can't. Can I actually contest. cheat? But but <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not, I think I, I'm not going to include him because on one hand, he did have a fantastic fall from grace and a rather horrible one. Um, but on the other, he didn't. He although popular and beloved as an athlete and as an actor in the Naked Gun movies and elsewhere. Mm. Um, I don't think he necessarily had the moral standing, I think. But if we think of the world of sports and American football in particular, um, uh, there are uh, numerous examples. I think Joe Paterno is a really mm. – I, I want to nominate Joe Paterno, Paterno, the former head football coach at Penn State University, now deceased, um, as having the most, perhaps the most substantial fall from grace in the in the football realm, uh, or or possibly even in sports uh, more generally, because he was a beloved and revered figure 
not just in the state of Pennsylvania, although he certainly was in Pennsylvania, mm. but also he was somebody who claimed that sort of college football and his coaching st style, it was a sort of on a different moral plane. And that, you know, yeah. what he was doing was sort of training young men to be good adults and all this kind of thing. It wasn't just about football. And, you know, he was a, he, when he retired, he, he may still have the record for the most wins in college football history. I don't know. Um, but, but he certainly did then. Um, and he, at the end of his life, and he was still alive when all of this came out, was implicated. He wasn't implicated in a child abuse scandal, he was accused of turning a blind eye because one of his assistant coaches, Jerry Sandusky, mm. was involved in, in child abuse and, and a, a pretty horrible uh, case or a series of cases. And that Paterno, this great moral figure, mm. uh, was aware and didn't do enough. So he wasn't guilty himself. He wasn't, but yet he was complicit. And yeah. his fall from grace was pretty... Dramatic. So he he was on a high moral plane. The crime that he was complicit with is terrible, and the fall was significant. And it happened as at the very end of his life, but he was aware of it when it happened. So I think I think Joe Paterno is a good example in the good's the wrong word. A notable example in the in the sports realm of a of a fall from grace. What do you think? Oh, I think that that's definitely the case. I mean, I think there's a. In sports, there are there are figures that people really, you know, that people get so attached to them, they, they get elevated. I think one of the things that these figures is they become larger than life in, in a variety of ways because of their their fame and their accomplishments. And, and you know, that makes their sort of fall, uh, for whatever reason, um, that much more dramatic. You know, on the theme of, of – oh, go ahead, Frank. No, 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 sorry. I was just going to say the one thing is with both – um, athletes and kind of musicians or actors, mm. they do achieve a fame and notoriety and we think we know them and they're often greatly admired, but of course we don't know them. And so often mm. the, so the fall from grace is that there's, there's a bit of a disconnect between the public image that we're presented with and their private behavior. Paterno, because he was a public figure for 50 years, we kind of, Felt we knew him in a way that mm -hmm. so you know like another athlete who ran into trouble was Michael Vick, who was a prominent NFL player and and um, mm -hmm. basic well went to jail for running a dog fighting ring. Well, we didn't really know much about Michael Vick before he became famous, and when we discovered that he was dog fighting, that really damaged his reputation. But I'm not sure how much uh, stature he had prior to that off the football yeah. field as it were. So, sorry, David, I didn't well, mean to do I mean, that. Yeah, thinking about celebrities in, in that respect, uh, you know, the one that comes to mind that, that, that really is the epitome of this is Bill Cosby, you know, who had a very public image of who we thought he was. He, you know, he portrayed himself, at least on the Cosby show, you know, which is, in fact, it's called the Cosby show, uh, you know, says by, by his replacing the culture, they can name the show after him. Um, but that he you know, was seen, seen as being, you know, both a more a, a great actor, but also a funny comedian, but a morally upstanding person. You know, and he got all these honorary doctorates from various places. Um, and it turns out all well, the things that we know about Bill Cosby. Um, you know, and so so I think that's a, a good example of that, where we have an image of who we think these people are, and that what's makes their fall that much more dramatic. On the theme of, of religious figures that, that have fallen from grace, the other one I want to highlight, and I think there are, you know, I think we're identifying here some categories of, of false and grace, um, is Amy Semple McPherson, uh, who is not a figure people, know, many people know about anymore, but when she was alive, she was enormously popular. She was a um, religious leader, especially in, she's originally from Canada, but she spends most of her adult life in California. And she establishes one of the first mega churches in in California uh, with thousands and thousands of members. She has a radio program. She's one of the first uh, religious leaders to really effectively use radio to, to communicate. She goes on speaking tours and tracks huge numbers uh, of, of followers. So she was, uh, you know, at a very particular moment in time, one of the most pe prominent people in the country. Um, she was always called Sister Amy, um, but she disappears in 1926, and she disappears. The last place she's seen is at the beach in Santa Monica, 
people, there's a nationwide search to try to find her. She, uh, they have like divers go underwater in Santa Monica. They think maybe she drowned or something. And, uh, but, and she appears six weeks later. They've already actually had a funeral for her at that point. She appears six weeks later uh, in Mexico. And she says that what happened to her was that she was at Santa, in Santa Monica at the beach, she was approached by a couple who had a sick child. Sister Amy was known for faith healing, and they wanted them her to go over and heal her their child. And she was kidnapped and taken into Mexico, and she was able to escape her captors. This is what she said. Um, she comes back from this kidnap, quote unquote, kidnapping to Los Angeles, she is greeted by the largest crowd of people that Los Angeles had ever seen. Um, just an enormous public outpour of support for her. But then the story quickly falls apart. The kidnapping thing turns out none of that happened, uh, that she was having an affair with somebody and was off at their you know, um, villa somewhere for, for, for six weeks. And that's where she was during that whole time. She goes on trial. There's a there's a huge amount of controversy, um, but she's somebody who's went from being sort of the pinnacle of of, of people adored for their you know moral uprightness, and then it all basically comes crashing down after this quote unquote kidnapping. What was she tried for? Uh, I think she was tried for fraud. You know, when she comes back and says, "Look, I was kidnapped," and then there was like police investigations and. I think it was, uh, you know, she wasn't found guilty of anything, but I, my my understanding is basically that that whole scandal really took her down multiple pegs. She's somebody who tried to you know reinvent herself multiple times thereafter. She tried to have a movie career, you know. She tried various times to to work in, in other kinds of religious uh, endeavors, but uh, after after this quote unquote kidnapping, basically her own church didn't want very much to do with her, and uh, she really. really um, never uh, recovered from it but so a fascinating figure in terms of, of somebody who is you know really does cause their own uh demise it reminds again, me of the governor a few years ago who went hiking on the appalachian trail um right. uh when in fact yeah he was engaging in other activities um but i think there are, there's a whole series i think in american history of these religious leaders who are proclaiming a certain moral vision and then you know either spectacularly fail to live up to it or spectacularly fail to live up to it and try to cover it up in a variety of ways like uh, Sister Amy did um, and often doesn't work out very well for them. But 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 that, I mean, I've, I'm glad we've got a woman in this roster of, yes, of scoundrels, which is good. Um, but but um, again, it's another case of kind of marital infidelity causing a problem rather than law breaking and paterno is a law is is abetted mm -hmm. uh, you know criminal activity and, and rudy giuliani's accused of a number of crimes so so um the, the categories are interesting i guess i i just yes. I, I i don't I, I offer that as an observation i don't know what what it means uh i, I my next one is in the realm of politics but more modern oh, politics not, not that modern uh the obvious one would seem to be richard nixon hmm. But I'm not sure Richard Nixon was on a higher moral plane. I mean, he was a kind of well-respected politician um, and obviously won um, election to the presidency twice and served as vice president and senator and everything else. So he, his, his fall from grace is pretty profound. But that's not who I'm going with. I want to go with somebody who didn't break any laws and didn't commit any crimes, but was more or less fell from grace for being bad at his job, which is Herbert Hoover. Oh, the reason yes. for this is because I, I think Herbert Hoover existed on a higher moral plane. <laughs> his moral yeah. high was higher than Nixon's, even though his fall, his crime, he didn't commit any crimes, whereas Nixon did. Hmm. Um, and so I think there's a difference there. So Hoover, of course, was the Republican president when the Great Depression broke out. But prior to that, and, and we've discussed this on the pod in hmm. the past, Hoover had a reputation as a great humanitarian, particularly for the relief work he did in Europe in the immediate aftermath of the um, First World War and, and the global flu uh, pandemic. Um, and, and his work was really important. I mean, he, he helped 
prevent people from dying of starvation. And so mm. the irony that a little over a decade later, or about a decade later, that he ended up leaving office in disgrace and seen as basically a heartless bastard for failing to do anything about the depression um, and the onset of the Great Depression is a pretty dramatic, to my way of thinking, fall from grace. Mm. Slightly undeserved. I mean, I think Hoover was, and we've talked about this in the past, sort of, I think, hamstrung by his ideological belief that the market would correct this problem. And it was a much more serious problem than he realized. So I think he had an error in judgment but I don't think he I don't think Herbert Hoover was a heartless bastard, but that is kind of the reputation he left office with. And he never really shook that he lived, you know, he, he lived for a mm. long time and was was active afterwards and at, at Stanford and so on. But I think so I want to nominate Herbert Hoover for a fall from grace. What do you think? Well, I think that's a, that's a very good pick. And I think there's an interesting parallel between him and and Nixon in that regard, you know, in as much as both of them lived for a very long time afterwards and you know they went through a period where they they had a very low profile and they tried to sort of rebuild themselves as senior statesmen at the end of their lives um uh to various degrees of success but but they always sort of had that failure uh looming over them and it, they already knew they already knew what the first line of their obituary would be um you know uh, no matter anything else they did in their lives all right, so my next pick, I'm going to pick three people because uh, I think they fit in a category. And I think there's a cat. So we've done the religious category. The other the second category that struck me were, were military leaders who fell from grace. Um, and the the first one I'm going to pick uh, is, is probably the most obscure of these three. Uh, William Hull. From, from your period, do you want you, you want to tell that story or shall I? No, okay. no, you you go ahead, David. Okay, so he's a he's a Revolutionary War hero. After the after the revolution, uh, he is appointed uh, in 1805 as the governor of of Michigan Territory by by your man T.J. Um, then the War of 1812 breaks out. He is. Uh, uh, basically ordered to invade Canada, which he does a spectacularly bad job of. Uh, and then he has to defend Detroit, Fort Detroit, which he does an even worse job of. Um, and he ends up surrendering significantly smaller uh, British slash Native American slash Canadian force uh, at, at Fort Detroit. He is court-martialed and sentenced to death. Uh, he's laid the which sentence is commuted by 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 James Madison based on his prior service uh, during the revolution. But here's somebody who, you know, was got fame for his 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 bravery in in battle, uh, but then uh, gets basically labeled as a, a coward and a, and a, uh, not quite a traitor, but close to it. Um, at, at the end of his life, and he tries. In the years that remain after he gets uh, gets pardoned by by Madison, um, tries to re rebuild his reputation and tries to defend uh, his his decision to surrender uh, Fort Detroit, but that doesn't work out very well for him. Uh, second military leader that fell from grace uh, is George McClellan, um, who was uh, the Union leader during the first couple of years of the Civil War, was renowned as being a military genius the people who met him in 18 you know knew him prior to the civil war said this is the you know the american version of napoleon they thought he was you know a gifted soldier a gifted leader a genius tactician or whatever um and i think mcclellan heard all these things that really went to his head he thought he was um you know, the most important person in the army. He thought he was more important than President Lincoln, who he held in some disdain. Um, and he was somebody who was, you know, Laud is going to be the savior of the Union. And he does a spectacularly bad job um, in a number of different cases, in the Peninsula Campaign, in the aftermath of, of, of Antietam, um, and, and what have you. Uh, he ends up running against Lincoln in 1864 and losing. Um, you know, and in the later half of his life, he's trying very hard to defend his uh, military record 
uh, in his status as a general, uh, but that uh, somebody who was at one point the most popular person in the country, or at least the half of the country that wasn't seceded, um, and really by the end of his life was was a shadow of that. Uh, and the third person I'm going to pick is Douglas MacArthur, which I think and then there's a yeah. thread in here. Um, you know, MacArthur was a, uh, I think as many people know, was a famous general from uh, the Second World War, although things before that too. Uh, he was famous for returning to the Philippines after abandoning the Philippines. He was famous for uh, overseeing Japan, um, uh, uh, the reconstruction of Japan after the war. Uh, and he was in charge of the U.S. forces in Korea until the time when he was fired as the head of the uh, U.S. forces in Korea because he wanted to use uh, nukes against the Chinese, among other things, and question uh, the president's authority to make decisions. Um, and he was somebody who I think had a spectacular sort of similar fall from grace uh, from, from being, uh, at least in his own mind, the greatest military mind of his generation to being... Um, stripped of his uh ranks i think that's a there's definitely a a, a nicarous story in there with him a more recent example might be david petraeus uh, that, that, he was he was going to be my fourth person on my list as somebody who was sort of you know lauded as being the savior of the american military and that that obviously didn't work out yeah, so I mean, just to, to remind people, so Petraeus, of course, was was seen as the great uh, authority on counterinsurgency. I made, I mean, his his achievements are, are considerable, um, and uh, you know, was was responsible for the surge in Iraq during in the during the Obama administration, uh, but but um, uh, in the late Bush administration, uh, but but Petraeus. Had an affair. We're seeing a theme here mm. with his biographer, but ultimately um, showed her uh, classified material. So there was a crime there beyond simply the the infidelity. Um, mm. And Betrayus's fall was uh, pretty significant as well as a, in, in keeping with that theme. Another one going back to the uh, era of Hull uh, would be. Um, uh, Arthur Sinclair, who of course sure. was in command in the Ohio Territory in the 1790s, when he was uh, when when indigenous uh, forces inflicted the greatest defeat they ever did, uh, Saint Clair's defeat in 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 um, against the United States, um, and Saint Clair was court-martialed and humiliated, and, and yeah, it was a, he had a rather bad outcome um, as well. But uh, yeah, so the, yeah, there is there's definitely certainly a military theme when it comes to falls from grace. I'm not, I've got some. Where's Benedict Arnold fit in that? Well, you know, Benedict Arnold changed sides. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, to some extent, you know, he did what he did and he lived with the consequences of it, but, you know, he didn't. Um, I mean, he, he his reputation took a took a hit, undoubtedly, and he'd had a very high reputation. He was one of the few heroes, military heroes of the early part of the uh, American Revolution, uh, the War of Independence, um, both during his conduct during the invasion of Canada, but more more particularly at the Battle of Saratoga. But uh, it, I guess it's a fall from grace, but, but, but he's the author of his own fall. Now all these people are, but they're, you know, he, he knew what he was doing, I guess is what mm. I'm saying. So it's, it, yeah. it's a, it's a slightly different category of, so, you know, he, he made the decision to do what he did and, kind of understood the the implications of it i think if, if that yeah. makes sense so i think i'm not sure be, <laughs> this sounds a little counterintuitive i'm not sure being a traitor constitutes the same level of a fall from grace because you've mm. kind of ceded the moral high ground i, I does, does that make sense uh, I mean, this could be a, distinct, a distinction a without a difference right yeah yeah um uh, i i I don't know where, I mean, in answer to your question, you asked where does Benedict Arnold fit? I'm not sure. Yeah. So, so David, I think, uh, I think you've got one more. I, I, I've kind of gone through my list, I think, but I think you've got one more that's quite well, significant that was actually on both of our lists. So go yes, ahead. Right. So, so the last one I had uh, was Charles Lindbergh. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, who I think most uh, listeners know is most famous in 1927 for his solo flight across the Atlantic in the spirit of St. Louis um, he was lauded for this achievement all over the world. He was praised by the, the French when he got there. Uh, he was named 
times man of the year. In fact, supposedly the whole institution of man of the year by Time Magazine was created because of Lindbergh. Um, uh, so I guess an interesting parallel there with Giuliani. He gets the Congressional Gold Medal. He gets praised by everybody. Uh, what happens to Lindbergh? Well, a couple of things happen to Lindbergh. One is, is there's a really awful case of a few years later where his uh, child is kidnapped and murdered, and there's a huge trial for that. He leaves the United States in the aftermath of that to try to sort of escape the, the press hoopla. Uh, but he becomes... Uh, in his time in Europe, very friendly with a number of people who turned out not to be so great. He spends lots of time in Nazi Germany. He, he gets a medal from the Nazis for his uh, aeronautic uh, uh, achievements. Um, and when he returns to the United States in uh, 1939, he becomes one of the leading advocates of uh, American non-intervention in the war in Europe. Uh, becomes an America firster. Um, whether he's actually a Nazi or not is some. There's some debate. Um, FDR thought he was a Nazi, um, which may be worth something. Uh, his biographers say, you know, if if nothing else, he was very sympathetic to the Nazis. He had anti-Semitic things he said repeatedly. He tended to hang out with Henry Ford in that respect. Um, but you know, he's somebody who's uh, opposition to the war effort, uh, especially early on in the war, uh, really tarnished his reputation uh, nationally. And and to be sure, you know, in the post-World War II period, he's still a, a, a very well-known figure. He writes a number of books, uh, some of which do very well, but he's, uh, his association with, with the Nazis really damaged his reputation on a, a pretty significant level. Anything you want to add to that, Frank? No, no, no. I mean, it's interesting that, uh, again, this is one where he didn't actually commit a crime, but it was his political choices that mm. um, or, or his personal his choices that 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 got him into trouble. Uh, what's interesting about him is, um, among a number of things, is, you know, when he was criticized, he sort of. You know, he doubled down on it. Right. You know, he, mm. he didn't shy away from his views. I mean, he, he, he really did lean into um, what he was doing. So it wasn't as though he could say, oh, I didn't realize how bad they were. I mean, people people said, yeah, th this this is not good. and You shouldn't associate yourself with it. But he, he stuck to it. Um, so, yeah, I think he's his fault and grace is pretty, pretty significant as well. Is there any lesson to be drawn from falls from grace, David? Is it just I mean, do we. Is it Schadenfreude? Do we sort of enjoy seeing people, uh, you know, do a, you know, seeing uh, the mighty fall? What, what, what's what's the point? Well, I mean, I think there there are some <laughs> cases where where it is enjoyable, at least on some level, to you know, the the, the four seasons total landscaping was amusing. Um, <laughs> yes, yeah, uh, I'm not sure that you know it was bizarre uh and and obviously the everything else around that was tragic and, and awful uh but just the, that particular moment i found found funny um you know i, I think there is a, a you know what all these people uh mostly men but all these people have in common is, is there's a great degree of you know hubris involved in in all of them there people had a great deal of pride in themselves pride in their abilities uh and, and i think it for lots of them that went to their heads. Um, and I think they saw themselves as, you know, people said about Lindbergh, you know, they, they people were treating him like he he not only flew across the water, but he walked on water, you know, right. and, and that kind of uh, um, adoration um, isn't, isn't good for anybody, um, you know. And maybe, I guess, if we're supposed to learn anything from this, never meet your heroes because they're, you know, most people are, 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 are flawed. Um, some more so, spectacular so, than others, right? So, so is it the apparent hypocrisy that attracts us to these stories? I, I think it is, um, but you know, I think one of the things that that uh, is interesting. Uh, maybe I don't know whether Americans are more prone to this than other people, but there, the, the, you know, some of these figures tried very hard to, to recoup their reputation and have a second act in their life that, that, you know, I think the, 
redemption story uh, are, are those kinds of narratives. Besides, you know, the fall from grace is one kind of narrative, but the redemption story of the person who has fallen from grace and then trying to recuperate themselves is another, you know, story that that people like. You know, and you're thinking about Nixon. Nixon went up and down four or five times over the course of his career. You know. He loses the presidential race in 1960. He loses his race for the governor of California in 1962. He says, you won't have Dick Nixon to kick around anymore. Um, then decides to come back, you know, and so there's a, a comeback story people are very interested in as well. So uh, these, I think, the, you know, the these are fascinating stories in part because of, of how you know, dramatic some of them are. I think that's always made me interesting. Yeah, and the comeback's interesting because, of course, it depends on when the fall happens. So, you know, Joe Paterno didn't have time to come back. He was a very old man sure. when, when his reputation was destroyed, and there was no coming back from that. I suspect that for Rudy Giuliani, who's 79 years old and does not seem to be as able as he once was, that there's probably no way back for him. Uh, the, the one thing that might help him is because of the partisan nature of his fall, Mm. Um, not everyone will see this the same way. So he may still have some, some supporters, at least among president Trump supporters, former president Trump supporters. So, so there's, there's, but I don't think there's a way back yeah. for Rudy Giuliani, given his age. I'm well, just not sure he's going to be capable of mounting a comeback. Um, so it does depend on when you fall, doesn't it? Yeah. And I think there's people who, who, whose notoriety in their, their second act, if you will, is in part because of the way they fell. Uh, and so here I'm thinking about sort of Oliver North, who was, you know, yeah, scandalous for the for, for the for the Iran counter affair. He goes to jail, but then he comes back and he's at least within certain circles, uh, you know, was venerated for his. Um, whatever. Uh, similarly, G. Gordon Liddy, you know, had to come back from. Being awful during Watergate to being awful on the radio in a very different kind of way, but had a. Uh, a second life after after prison um so whereas john uh, dean from watergate of course has hmm. re sort of sought to rehabilitate himself as a kind of um scold come cassandra almost who you know warning hmm. us they take learn the lessons of watergate which is hmm. interesting yeah. yeah so but he but dean wasn't as yeah, Dean and Liddy. I mean, they were prominent in their day, but they didn't necessarily have the kind of moral stature to have a oh, to be fall sure. from grace in the way we described it. All right, all right. Well, we'll see. We'll see what happens with Rudy Giuliani at all in their um, upcoming racketeering trial in in Georgia, among other things. Hey, the Giuliani. Sorry, Giuliani's story does fascinate me because he has been a public figure for so long, and his fall from grace is so. Pronounced. So just to return to where we we, we started, um, yeah. you know, Giuliani's fall from grace is is one of the more fascinating aspects of the whole Trump saga to me. Uh, he, yes. He's one of the more fascinating characters in this drama for me. And and uh, uh, yes, I want to say tragic, but that that may display too much sympathy for him. Yeah. Um, right. Time for the last drops, Frank. What you got? I'll do a bit of log rolling, David, which is we're going to have a conference here at the end of September on September 22nd uh, uh, here at Monticello on the uh, the Thomas Jefferson Foundation, which owns and runs Monticello as a museum, is celebrating its centenary this year. It was founded in 1923. Uh, that's an interesting story there for another time. Uh, and we're, we're, we're hosting a conference, a one day conference uh, up at Mont Alto, which is the mountain that overlooks Monticello. So it's oh. worth coming to so you can get a unique view of Monticello because it actually looks down on Monticello. It's a fascinating, um, amazing views up there. Uh, but we're having a one day conference. The morning we'll look at the uh, we're going to look back during the morning at, at what the foundation has done over the past century. And in the afternoon, we're looking forward to what it might do in this century, in its next century. Uh, next, so okay. if, if anybody's in town and would like to um, it would like to attend this. Uh, it's free, but ticketed, but just get in touch with me and I will uh, be able to set you up with that. So, so oh, great. Uh, is there, is there, a, so, is there a website where one can sign up for tickets? Uh, there is, but I don't have it at hand. So if you, if well, you I'll, see the, if I can, I'll, I'll find it yeah. and put it in the show notes. So put it in the, can, if you could register. do so, that would be really helpful. Thank you, David. So and, that's and, and this is a great opportunity for listeners to meet Frank. If they've not met Frank, you know, and, and get his autograph and all the kinds of things. 
before my fall from grace. Exactly. Well, you got to get them now. Before, uh, um, <laughs> what about speaking, you, David? Uh, well, speaking of, of getting your autograph, I want to uh, endorse a, a recent uh, notice that a book is going to be published soon. Uh, that is to say, a book published is going to be published on the 20th of February, 2024. You can order it now on Amazon and other places. It is a book by a certain Francis D. Cogliano. Uh, that is to say, you called a revolutionary friendship, <laughs> Washington, Jefferson, and the American Republic. Uh, that is coming out uh, with Harvard University Press. Uh, we've also got cover art. It, the cover art's not on Amazon yet, but I think it's on the publisher's website, maybe. Uh, but Amazon's selling it for the low, low price of thirty-seven ninety-five. So, well, so it's on pre-order already, right? You can you can pre-order it now. You can get one for you know. Uh, let's see what holidays are. It's you know it's unfortunately it's a bit late for Valentine's Day presents for people, but you can buy it for your for your loved one as a Valentine's Day present and give them the. This will be showing up in your mailbox a week from now. Uh, as a gift because it's about friendship he, and valentine's day is about love of all kinds right <laughs> that's right well the publication day was chosen because it's president's day oh president's see president's day gifts aren't really a thing but but maybe they should be and and this way you get two presidents for the price of one and the ways that they were, <laughs> were buddies so uh <laughs> revolutionary friendship now available pre-order it uh let's get to the top of the uh, bestseller list or at least uh whatever amazon sub column it's in or at an independent bookstore, or an independent bookstore, or uh, you know maybe at that that this this place Monticello. I think they may be having some kind of thing for it, uh, you know, for local authors and whatnot. Uh, we're going to be launching it at Monticello on February twentieth. So I will oh, have more details about that as uh, when the time comes. But thank you for mentioning that, David. That was very kind of you. No, no, I'm I'm looking forward to to, to reading it. It's going to be a a bestseller, a prize winning, all kinds of things. If it's on pre-sale, I really better finish correcting the proofs, which is one of my jobs this weekend. So, <laughs> all right, well, get on that, Frank. Because I guess yeah, I will. <laughs> printers are waiting. Right until next week, Frank. Cheers. Thanks, David. The Whiskey Rebellion is hosted by David Silkenet and Frank Cogliano. David is a senior lecturer in American history at the University of Edinburgh and Frank is Professor of American History and Dean International for North America at the University of Edinburgh. The Whiskey Rebellion is available on iTunes, Stitcher and Podbean. You can follow the show on Twitter at WhiskeyRebelPod and like the show on Facebook for updates about current and future episodes.